0: Hello and welcome to Phoenix Talent Talks in partnership with the Business Post. The topic of our sixth episode is mental health in the workplace. I'm your host, Elaine O'Regan, and I'm joined here today by Ruth Linden, Managing Partner at Phoenix, Kira McLaughlin, Partner and Head of Employment in Ireland at DLA Piper, and Caroline McEnery, Managing Director of the HR Suite. Firstly, thank you all for taking part here today. Ruth, I'm gonna start with you today. We're hearing a lot about mental health this year because of the impact COVID is having on the way we live and the way we work. How far do you think we've come in terms of how we view this issue? Thanks, Elaine. Yep, there's no doubt about it. There has been an increased focus on
1: mental health this year, and this in turn has led to increased discussions in the public forum, such as media, social media, podcasts like this, for example. So that's all really positive. And to a large extent, this discussion is taking place in an employment context, largely due to the sudden shift to working from home that the majority experienced in, in March. And the reality is, nine months on, most, most of us, myself included, are working. From home. So from our discussions, you know, at Phoenix with both our client and candidate community, for many, working from home has been fantastic. And the positives we're hearing are things like increased uh, time with family, you know, being there to, to do the kids breakfast, maybe put them down, increased balance, that kind of thing. But the reality is there is a, a different side to the story for many. And for many, it is not such a positive experience. There are a number of, of people we speak to who simply don't have the facilities to work from home. They could be sharing accommodation. They don't have a separate office. Some don't even have a desk and a chair. So whilst it might be an ironing board, it could be their bed, but they're sitting on with the laptop trying to work. And a lot of people are missing out on that you know, face-to-face daily social interaction. So at Phoenix, we wanted to go dig a little deeper and find out a little bit more from people on the ground as to how it is affecting them. So we carried out a survey. It was amongst um, 200 plus professionals across our specialist areas, ranging from mid to senior level, all the way up to C-suite level. It's clear from the results of our survey that working from home, people think it's here to stay. 77%, 77%, apologies, of our respondents said that they do think their organisation will continue to offer a working from home arrangement post-COVID. Interestingly, in terms of what the ideal looked like, 37% favoured two days working from home per week and 48% favoured three days. So just to bring it back to your question on how mental health is really being viewed, we also then asked our, our respondents to discuss a little bit more the effect it was having, COVID and working from home, was having from a mental health perspective. And and it gets interesting here. 67% felt that working from home was having a negative impact on their mental health, whether marginally or significantly. So 67% are feeling some form of negative impact. So it leads to the question, would they feel comfortable discussing it with their employer? 67% actually said that they would not feel comfortable discussing mental health issues they were experiencing with their employers. 56% felt that discussing mental health issues with employers would potentially lead to and have a negative impact on their career within that organisation. So definitely there are real concerns that people still have. As well as discussion, we asked around, you know, awareness. Do people know what their legal rights and duties are in a mental health context as an employee? And 30% said, Said yes, 33% said to some degree, but they would like to, to learn more. But 37% said they had no idea as to what they were. And then interesting, we asked respondents if they were aware of their own organization's mental health policy, and only 7% said yes. So whilst 100%, this will be one of the silver linings, in my opinion, of COVID is The level of discussion around this and awareness around mental health, particularly in an employment context, it's increasing. We are talking about it more, absolutely, for sure. But from the results of our survey, um, and even from speaking to um, our own candidate and client community, I certainly do think that there still is a stigma. I think people are still not that comfortable discussing it internally uh, within their own organizations maybe for fear of you know negative uh, repercussions from a progression perspective or equally they maybe just don't know who to go to so we've come a long long way And I do think COVID-19 will continue to increase awareness and discussion around this. But I think now is the time for employers to address this and to take action. And they can turn this into a real positive by being that organisation that is known for supporting their employees, whether their mental health is good or bad.
0: So I think before we look at those positive steps employers can take, Caroline, I want to bring you in because I know in your work, you deal with the negative side of things. You deal with cases where the employer-employee relationship has broken down around the mental health issue. Based on that experience, what advice would you have for employers on how to avoid these situations arising? I suppose, Elaine, for us
2: in the HR suite, it's very much about trying to be proactive and help clients to have a preventative, uh, positive approach. And as Ruth mentioned, COVID has helped spotlight that, which is really positive. But it's no good having a policy and a staff handbook if it's not part of the culture and it's not actually brought to life. And one of the major ways of bringing all this area to life is to train managers. And I suppose... For me, it's very much about, you know, what skills do managers need to have these conversations? And the conversations start with checking in to see, you know, how people are doing in these challenging times. Because as Ruth said, for a lot of people working from home isn't maybe as ideal as it is for others. So reaching out initially to do check-in calls that aren't focused on just where's the project update at or, you know, where are we at with a specific work task? that we're actually doing check-ins to see how are people managing in terms of mental health. And the other, I suppose, key area is communicating lots in relation to normalising the challenges people are having because encouraging, I suppose, conversations about that it's okay not to be okay all of the time and that stress, anxiety and mental health challenges are part of life and we as organisations need to help people through these um, challenging times because as we all know you know people when they join organizations they'll often leave managers and that old adage has never been truer because if your manager is not supporting you holistically when you're having these challenging times you will forget all of the good stuff about the job etc which you'll really remember that you you know that organization which is represented by that manager didn't support you when you needed it most so I think upskilling managers and bringing the policy the culture the programs to life for employees is crucially important to that rather than just giving it lip service and saying we've got the poster we've got the numbers people should ring we have an employee assistance program so we've ticked all the boxes they're no good if we don't ensure people are really activating them they're using them and I think awareness with employees is a big part of that but I think um, upskilling our managers for me is probably the biggest enabler to really make a difference.
0: here, I know that you would agree with Caroline there that how employers approach mental health is as much about HR and culture as it is about the legal issues they might face in this area but if we look first at the legal side of things what do
3: employers need to be aware of? The legal risks of an employer getting it wrong uh, and getting their approach to mental health wrong include a psychiatric injury claim. And that's at the, so the furthest end of the scale. And that's, that's a real worry because if they're taking a psychiatric inju- injury claim, they're saying that the employer is the cause of the mental health issue. So that's, that's a real worry. That's a, a, you know, a, a stress claim is, is often how it starts then you've got a disability discrimination claim, potentially, and that might be unfair discriminatory dismissal if, if you've exited somebody. But equally, it might be something like failure to make a reasonable accommodation. So if an employee has a mental health issue, it's very easy in Ireland, we have such a broad definition of disability in Ireland, it's very easy for that to, be, to attract the protection of the disability discrimination uh, legislation. And then it immediately triggers an obligation on the employer to make reasonable accommodation for that disability. So what might that look like? Well, I've advised clients where simply somebody was saying, I'm I'm having difficulty getting up in the morning. Mornings are at my my worst. Could I start at 10? Little things like that. And that might be considered a reasonable accommodation. And going back to the points that Caroline made, and I know she's going to expand on this, training the managers to, to respond well to that is absolutely imperative. It's also rare that there's a, a bullying and harassment claim where mental health isn't part of it, can cause huge stress if somebody feels that they're being either bullied or harassed, and that can create a, a mental health issue. The other point where, where we are asked to, to look at and help is where an employer is trying to engage in an ordinary HR process, such as absence management, performance management, or disciplinary and somebody has a mental health issue. And that becomes very tricky. That is a difficult scenario to negotiate. And again, back to Caroline's very well-made point, the managers need to be trained to that. You can't have a sort of a a hands-off approach because you, you wouldn't be able to continue to run your business. So yeah, I mean, a little like Caroline, employers come to us not really because things have gone terribly wrong already, although that does happen But it's often because they recognise that having a proper system in place is just good business. It, you know, it reduces costs, it reduces absenteeism, it improves your employer brand, which I know Ruth will talk about, and it increases employee engagement and commitment. So it's all very important.
0: DLA Piper recently published a report on mental health in the workplace, which is really useful. And in it, you would advise employers to put together a good, strong,
3: well-being strategy. Can you tell us a little bit about what that might involve? Yeah, we, we had a phenomenal response to this report actually. And I'll be perfectly honest, it was something we were working on at the end of last year, um, pre-COVID, but my goodness, we got <laughs> it came out just at the right time, I think. Um, and was really ve- very much embraced. And I know Caroline and Ruth mentioned stigma. And what we see, and I would agree with Ruth on this, is COVID is removing that stigma a little bit. So people who would have been in the kind of just pull yourself together brigade are now feeling, well, actually, you know, my own mental health isn't, isn't the most robust here. And there's a sort of more of a sympathy, more of an empathy, more of a willingness to talk about things. So the guide includes tips for how to train up your managers and what's necessary and goes beyond having a, an EAP, which is an employee assistance program. And an employee assistance program is actually a very key legal tool, I must highlight. So although we can kind of dismiss it in one way and say it's not the be all and end all, it will help an employer to defend a claim of psychiatric injury. So that's just worth Noting, um, because it does show that you've taken steps to try and alleviate it in an independent way. But I think the problem has been, and Ruth talked about this, people at home, mental health tends to be an invisible illness, and it's even more invisible when it is at home, when when you're not turning up for work. And so a key leadership skill that I see at the moment is being able to connect with your team, connect with your employees and ensure that that level is connection there. It's absolutely key to, to mental health and the World Health Organization, even the Irish government are publishing things about that, it's proven psychiatric, uh, or psychiatric evidence that this is important. But a second, almost as important key leadership skill will be to spot those who aren't connected and to see what you what you can do to reach out to them and, and sort of bring them in and help it. And I couldn't agree with Caroline more. It's all about preventative measures and putting structures in place now and making them live and, and really, really engaging with them. And uh, we're all on cameras here. We're all sort of smiling and I'm gesturing with my hands. But that's it. that sort of thing is important. The camera's on policy. So you can see... Is somebody struggling to the extent that, that even that's possible? Sometimes people can sort of put it on for the, for the cameras and, and then, uh, but it, you know, it's the bare minimum we should, in my view, be doing.
0: Caroline, I know you spoke earlier about the importance of training managers on a broader level. What's your advice to employers on how to go about instilling the kind of culture that will genuinely support all employees?
2: I suppose the starting point is a lot around your values and the guiding principles in the organization of how we do things around here and ensuring that there's openness and transparency in ensuring both the managers and the employees know what are the expectations in relation to a virtual open door policy, people, if they request specific things, how it's going to land with the organization, et cetera. And then I suppose it's the piece around having those conversations. I've written a whole book called The Art of Asking the Right Questions. And for me, uh, it's managers having those conversations. Because if you're having the conversation with people on a weekly basis, as Ruth and uh, Kira both said, we're starting to then spot somebody who might be struggling. Like one area that mental health is hugely challenged is around the area of grief, And it's part of people's life journey. And now more than ever, you know, we need to be supporting people in different ways, for example, in relation to mental health issues that may be as a result of experiencing grief. And we know that the roller coaster of life brings additional challenges at different times for people and organizations that will support people mental health wise and support people by the hashtag be kind, you know, focus that we've all had right throughout, I suppose, the last number of years, but has never been more uh, important during COVID because people support network that they would have had before. Simple things like being able to go to the gym, people don't have that at the moment. The social outlet, seeing their family, going on holidays, things that people would have used to recharge. They don't have those same support mechanisms as they've had before. So there's a a bigger reliance on the work support network to try and compensate and support You know, and there's not one size fits all, I think, is a really important focus. Whereas sometimes we say, well, look, we must treat people consistently and we must treat people the same. I feel in this whole area, it's the opposite. We need to treat people as individuals and really listen and ensure they feel heard in relation to their individual need, their individual challenge and respond to that in a meaningful individual way that will make a difference for them because a lot of the time small things can make huge difference when somebody is in that space where they can't see the wood from the trees and that support mechanism can really be a game changer. And like how amazing for organizations to be able to influence people's
0: lives so positively by making small accommodations when they need it most. Kira, I know Caroline has just spoken there about the importance of having the right kind of culture, but at the same time, I think for a lot of employers, you know, if you do get that sixth cert and it does have the word stress in it, it can be, you know, a huge source of fear.
3: Uh, what is your advice on how to approach that? So one of the most common questions I get or one of the things that I challenge quite early on when dealing with a client where an employee has submitted a cert for stress or has written in and said, I'm really stressed. I can't come to work today. I'm I'm feeling so low and I really can't cope. Um, Is an unwillingness to express empathy or sympathy because of the risk of that being seen as admitting liability. It's so interesting. So the the employer feels, if I'm on notice now of of stress and they haven't quite said it yet that we're responsible, but they're clearly going there, they're clearly building their case, I cannot now acknowledge, you know, I can't be the empathetic me, I can't give an authentic response. So they just don't. And of course, that completely shifts the dynamic because how awful for somebody to communicate I'm feeling so stressed I've gone to my doctor, I won't be able to attend the disciplinary meeting or I won't be able to attend the performance management review you're doing of me. And to be told, well, i have complete silence, which is ordinary happens because there's a panic reaction to it. When in fact, the right response is, I'm really sorry, Um, we have postponed the meeting to next Friday. You're not being totally terrified by this. It is normal to feel stressed uh, in the current climate is normally to feel really stressed such that you might need to go and visit your doctor. But it doesn't mean that we're not going to plough on with what we have to do. Um, And I think a lot of employers struggle with that. That is probably, um, Ruth, um, one of the the biggest um, questions that that we get. We're going through a process and the employee has submitted a doctor's cert. What will we do? And I suppose my Main advice is, well, continue to be sympathetic, continue to be the reasonable employer, but you can also be robust at the same time.
1: And can I just ask here, in a situation where someone, let's say, has had an issue uh, with, with their mental health was suffering, you've gone through it, you were the supportive employer, You've come, they've come out the other side and everything is perfect. From there on in, in subsequent, let's say, you know, annual, you know, biannual or annual reviews, should that be a specific point for this person? Do you do anything different or do you just ask the same questions as you would for anybody else? Because the reality is, you know, whilst a lot of people might have, you know, occasionally during their life, they may suffer at some point. You know, the reality is oftentimes it could be in response to a certain situation like a death. Mm. And with the right support, they'll come out the other side and they'll be, you know, they'll be just as productive. There's no issue. But from, you know, would you recommend to clients if like that, if it was an employee, they did suffer, they told you you were very supportive as an employer, they came out the other side. In subsequent then, is it something you need to be mindful of and need to sort of ask additional questions around? Or do you just continue as you would
3: with anybody else? There's, there's a fine line. You need to, you need to be careful um, that you are not stigmatizing the employee. I think you've made a really interesting point. Most mental health issues, thankfully, are come in phases. Even work-related stress tends to be a phase. And if you give people time to recover, they'll be back to their high performing selves in in due course. So yeah, I, I think you were you're on notice of something you, it depends on the level of it, really. It's kind of case specific. I know that's a dreadful legal answer, but it, it, for that particular point, there's no sort of general one size fits all. It, it kind of depends on the level of it, whether it's ongoing and whether you're spotting behaviours that would indicate that the underlying condition is, is, has kicked off again. But um, if you feel they've come through it, then, I, I, you know, just a simple and how are you has everything has everything yeah. been? I know you had a difficult time last year. But you need to be careful because you don't want to be seen to be making decisions based on one lapse, you know. So yeah. So you would you wouldn't be, for example, saying, you know, and I know you had a really tough time last year, and by the way, we're not promoting you this year. You know, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no, absolutely.
1: And if there are clients listening to this or organizations um that maybe don't have anything in place right now, if there was sort of one action they should take, is it, you know, prepare a kind of one-pager mental health policy and put it into your employee handbook, just setting out these are the supports, you know, this is who you should talk to and communicate it, or is there one sort of, if there was, you know, if somebody is there listening and their organisation has doesn't have anything specific on this, is
3: there a general do this as a bare minimum or is it more complex? I'm, I'm inclined to agree with Caroline. I think train your managers. So we have um, in, in um, DLA, we have a, a, a minding, your, minding Your Mind program. So we actually have videos up of people talking about their personal experience, whether that's a sort of a longer bout of depression that some of our colleagues have suffered, or whether it's a short period due to grief. They're very valuable to see. And then we, I mean, we have a, a well-being survey that, gosh, I think we've done four of them or five of them. So I don't know what the frequency is during COVID. Uh, COVID time is funny time, but it, it's a survey just to see how people are doing and to see whether any interventions are nev- uh, necessary, entirely confidential. And then we have a positive leaders training, which is undertaken by a psychologist and a, a medical doctor. With, with leaders in the business and talking to us about how we behave as leaders to encourage people to come forward. So one thing I thought was very interesting is that I felt, this is very personal, but I felt I would be as deaf, if that's the right word, to somebody trying to reach out to me if I was all enthusiastic and motivated and in that kind of, you know, come on, everybody, let's be over positive as if I was angry or sad that actually the best frame of mind to be in in order to really hear what your employees are saying to you and in, in order to be really connected to them is being calm and reflective. So that sort of training is just invaluable. And, you know, it's, and that is why. I think that's made me a, a, a better leader during this. And um, I think that would be my number one tip. Just train your leaders to, to be good at this and to not see it as a stigma. Ruth, I'd like to bring you in here again
0: because you have that one-to-one contact with individual professionals in your role as a recruiter. What do they really want or expect from employers in terms of how they can support their mental health at work?
1: I think, Elaine, in short, like any of us and all of us here today on this webinar, basically people want to work in an environment which is positive and diverse, which is going to champion their success, but equally support it. And as to what Kira, back to Kira's point, absolutely one in which they feel engaged and connected. Because if employees aren't bought into the company and the values of the company that they work for, they simply won't excel or work at optimum levels. I think that COVID is going to, like we've discussed, it's it has brought and is, continues to bring this whole area into the spotlight, which is great. And I think in turn employees' expectations around this are going to increase. So it's definitely something that you know, employers should ignore at their peril. I think you know. There's essentially when we talk to to employees and people who are happy where they work. What we you know, or if people are not happy where they work, the things that are often said is that you know maybe the employer focuses too much on face time or virtual time. You know, putting a certain amount of hours in, being the last one out and the first one in, as opposed to focusing on the the quality of the outputs and the results. People, we're all adults. People want to have an employer that gives them that autonomy and that trust them. But yes, okay, do you need to drop, you know, your your child off to crash, and you're half an hour later starting, that's fine because I know the work is going to get done. Also things like an employer that supports them, that if it is a case that you're in an environment where at times, if it's transaction driven or whatever, and sometimes you do have to stay in the office working late, that... There are, for example, healthy food options if you need to get, you know, if you need to order in food that there is maybe access to a gym. It's the simple things like that as well, where an employer can really put tangible measures in place to help that employee have a balanced and successful experience in that organization. I think the other big piece is employees want to feel comfortable, that it's in an environment where they can go and talk. To somebody they know who that somebody is and they can go look you know as, as Caroline said you know whether it's grief whether it's you know just COVID's getting on top of them whatever it is it's that open honest environment is really really key and when people feel that yes there is a manager or whoever that I can go and speak to I know that I can speak in confidence I know that it's not going to be you know a stigma or a black book on my black mark in my copy book that you know, makes a huge difference. So essentially, it is back to that. It's an environment where people feel valued, respected, engaged, and one in which they feel that their success is championed and supported with realistic expectations.
0: And finally there, Ruth, just coming back again to your recent research, I know you feel that how employers approach mental health will become a lot more central to how their brand is viewed in the market. Why do you think that is? As I mentioned, I definitely do think that this whole area is
1: going to, employees' expectations essentially are going to increase around this. You know, a lot of people, COVID has been hard on everybody. Working from home has had its pluses, but it's had it has had its negatives. And there's going to be some element of this moving forward is what, um, you know, everything would indicate. So I think employees' expectations are going to increase. Therefore, employers simply can't ignore this. But I think this is actually a really unique, positive opportunity for employers to go, OK, let's be that company that is renowned for being a really supportive, positive workplace. And it makes business sense. You know, as Kira mentioned, it costs a lot of money to, to deal with these issues. It costs money to replace people, to bed people in to train them up again. So it makes sense in all respects. You will attract the best talent if you have a positive culture and you will retain the best talent also and you will get that buy-in from your employees. So to my mind, it just, it makes complete sense all around for employers to embrace this and go, you know, This can be our USP. This is what we want to be renowned for on the marketplace. And it's not that, you know, the measures that need to be put in place are hugely onerous or expensive. Like, for example, it can be simple things such as, like I mentioned, you know, have some healthy food as an option. If you, you know, have a gym or if you don't have a gym, look to even installing showers in your organization so that people can can cycle in or go for a run at lunchtime. Um, I think back to Caroline's point, your managers make sure that you have your own staff trained to spot. Those signs and to have the confidence and the knowledge to be able to address them with that person before it potentially spirals out of control. The engagement piece, as well, both Caroline and Kira mentioned that, and that is so crucial. And as Kira mentioned, people are more invisible now. So it's more difficult to get that engagement. But there, there are simple things that employers are doing that can have such an impact. Like even you know, from our own perspective, Phoenix as, as an employer, we have to try and keep our guys really engaged. And we're doing simple things like virtual 11s every Friday. And um, we've had a couple of uh, online table quizzes where I have failed miserably, even with Google, which is uh, beside me. There's things you can do. We've sent out packs to our employees, you know, just with chocolates and bottle of wine, you know, to make their Friday. It's little things like that. Um, I've heard of some employers where they've had people doing an online yoga class together, where everyone is doing it, you know, together online. So there's lots of simple things that you can do. And with social media, there's a good chance that people are going to put this out on LinkedIn or Twitter or Instagram. And your culture and your reputation as a company, without you even trying too hard, you know, is 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 being promoted out there. They're the preventative pieces. Equally, as the ladies mentioned, it's about having your policy in place. It's about communicating that. And if and when things do start to go wrong, that the manager either spots it and or the person who is going through that tough time feels comfortable and connected enough to be able to go and speak with that person. And it comes from the top down, you know, whether it's, bi-yearly or the annual town hall with with the MD or the CEO or the managing partner that they talk openly about you know any any you know talk about it as um, something that is recognized by that company i think giving people's personal experiences is so so important and has such a positive impact. So whether it is, you know, some companies would maybe have uh, videos up on their own social media, a day in the life of, let's say, for example, a newly qualified solicitor. But I think equally, you know, maybe if somebody was open to doing it, maybe have someone talked through, you know, I went through a really tough time, but here is what this employer did to support me they have been phenomenal. The impact of that is huge and use that as part of your recruitment process, whether directly or through, through the likes of Phoenix, you know, give that to your search partners so that this is something that they can give to prospective talent and say, this is more than just, you know, a policy in a drawer and a handbook and that's it. This company actually lives and breathes, you know, mental wellbeing and they recognize that it's going to affect everyone at some stage directly or indirectly. So, For me, this is a really, this will be the positive that comes out of this. Along with agile working, I think it's going to be an increased focus on mental health. And I think those savvy organizations will use this and it's going to benefit them from a business perspective
0: and it's going to benefit the employees as well. They will be happier, healthier and more productive. So that's it for this podcast. Thanks to today's panel, Ruth, Akira and Caroline for your very valuable advice and your insights. And as always, a very big thank you to our listeners.